Yeah, I, I, I feel like I just haven't had the time to write mine. Um, I know exactly what I want to say. It's just I wanted to write it the day of, but I was like, I have to go to sleep. <laughs> it's tough. It's definitely tough. Like, there's so much to say, I guess. But also, yeah. like, he, he was totally right when it was just like you really gotta like chew on it for like a little bit because it was Wednesday night that we saw it, so we've had like you know kind of a day two days or whatever to kind of I don't know think about it um, yeah but all right all right so this is the back-to-back happy hour our opportunity to talk about anything film or TV or whatever we want that just really doesn't fit into the main episode this week um, is gonna be pretty specific since it's on our minds obviously you can tell the house that Jack built is the most recent film we both watched um, I don't know. You think we should try to kind of talk about it or maybe review it without spoiling much and then maybe kind of do some spoil stuff? Yeah, we might have to do the spoil later. We have to do spoil stuff, period. I mean, that's just going to happen. (laughs) But maybe we can just kind of give some generalized thoughts on it. Yeah, that doesn't say too much. Um, And then, yeah, we'll give a, a warning. At some point when we switch over to the yeah. to the spoiled side of it, because there is some stuff in there, and it's interesting to watch without yeah. without knowing too much about it. So, um, I think it is important too that we mention that we watched the unrated director's cut oh, that was yes, shown at, point. Yeah. at the Cannes Film Festival yes. um, during the one night only screening um, of it. Uh, yes, instead of the R rated version that will come out later. So that is important to say. It's a good point. Um, this was a one night only thing. There was one showing. Uh, not every theater got or you know brought the showing to them. Um, you, sorry, you said it was the one from Can. Yeah. Yeah. It was. The, it was the version from Can. Yeah. Um, and it's unrated, which is which is really important here because one thing that it did cause was some controversy with the MPAA. <laughs> Uh, basically, um, they're not stoked about that this was ever shown because apparently <laughs> IFC Films did not get the proper sanctions to actually show this movie, um, which is stupid. Which I feel I at the same time that it might be a publicity stunt that <clears throat> IFC did on purpose. I kind of think so. Because like, who fucking really likes the MPAA? I know you know distribution distribution companies probably don't like them except for maybe the big ones. And it know? just goes to show you how pointless they really are. It's this weird arbitrary group of people that somehow control what you see on the screen, but it, they're super useless. Yeah. <laughs> because people are going to see what they want to see. <laughs> um, and we had a small theater that we saw it in, but the theater was pretty packed. It like, was, I was surprised yeah. by the people who came out to see it. <laughs> yeah. And the knowing that... Um, Von Trier is a controversial person, um, and just how this movie's been propped up as pretty controversial anyway. I think you're right. I think it is a uh, there's a marketing thing because now theatrical cut people are going to go out to go see yeah way more than I think they they would have. And what's interesting too is that it's it's got to be pre planned because they're releasing it the unrated version then like two weeks later they're releasing the r-rated version Mm -hmm. and then after that they're releasing the director's cut again on video on demand but it's the director's cut 
not the R-rated cut that they're releasing on VOD, but you can't rent it on VOD. You can only buy it on VOD. So it <laughs> forces people to actually buy the unrated version if they want to see it not in theaters. They will not see the R-rated version. Which is kind which of is, genius because yeah. some people who don't go to theaters are going to wait, who are the people who wait anyway. Yeah. Now they're going to get more people probably buying it. Yeah. Especially, which, or doing both. Which is actually dipping. really brilliant because... The house that Jack built isn't going to get a whole bunch of money from theaters. They're going to get most of their money through VOD and Blu-ray sales. Yeah. So by releasing the inferior version in theaters, everyone's going to probably just wait and see at least the true diehards. Or they're going to see it so that they can compare it. There's yeah, and be that's a the lot thing. The true diehards are going to see both. Yeah. Because I'll definitely go see the R-rated version just because I'm curious to see what they what they took out. Um, and I don't mind giving Lars von Trier my money. <laughs> <laughs> but it's important to know that, like, because he's controversial, like, they're leveraging that as marketing. Yeah. And honestly, showing a director's cut for one night, I mean, you know, a showed in roughly 100 theaters or so, um, one night, one showing, is fucking genius. Like, I want to see the festival versions of stuff yeah. because the festival versions are always different than the theatrical version. Yeah. So why not? Just give me the option for one night. Yeah. And have pe- and make it limited so that it's rare and scarce or whatever and people have to really pay to go see it. And then you can release your theatrical yeah. one. But at least you have, you, you give those, the people <laughs> who are going to give you, and then like you said, the people, there's a lot of people who are going to double dip. Yeah. So that's more money. Yeah. Why not? I totally think they should go with more director cut um, films for sure, and and just do specialty shows because they end up being the definitive version on most films anyway. You know, you got some weird histories when it comes to director cuts, but the film that really started it all was Close Encounters of the Third Kind by Steven Spielberg. Um, and then you know, obviously the most famous would be Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. You know, one hundred percent. So it's 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 interesting the the history of like just what a director's cut is, which we could probably do a whole podcast episode about that. But um, good point. But this. But this version, I think it's 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 interesting that we the, the director's cut gets released first, and then the rated R version. And then they're going to release another one. Yeah. Um, I, I just I think that's so fucking genius, yeah. honestly. Uh, so to the movie itself, though, um, obviously the one thing that sticks out immediately is, uh, and what was surprising, I think, is the dark comedy like the extremely extremely dark comedy um in the spoiler section we'll talk a little bit more about some things that were probably the darkest comedy i've ever seen on film Uh, but that was one thing i wasn't i wasn't expecting and then um and definitely playing up the uh the what's it called cognitive dissonance of upbeat music and brutality i think was really interesting um yeah there's so much just so much um and it's it's hard to say that most of the music is all the same song just different portions of the song and they've even he even um mixed the song they they morphed it a little bit on certain parts which i thought was kind of interesting um david bowie's fame I believe is the title of the song. Uh, song is kind of the one that you hear the most. That's just yeah. kind of going through. Um, but it's interesting. And then you know, like 
it's pretty typical Lars von Trier cinematography. Um, although I guess he's getting too old to the point where he can't really operate the camera yeah, himself I'm as actually, much. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I, I was curious about that watching it. I was like, is this von Trier as camera operator or not? Um, it's definitely his style. I. But I didn't. I didn't read. I couldn't read anything about, or I haven't been able to find anything about whether or not he was operating camera or not. Because they made a big thing on Antichrist that he wasn't the operator, mm-hmm. um, and that Anthony Dodd Mantle had to recreate Lars von Trier's shooting style himself. Um, so, but I didn't. And then I remember he did some of the camera operating for uh, Melancholia. But I don't know about Nymphomaniac or this one. I think um, Nympho he kind of did more of. But I, th- I remember reading that it was like he just was getting to the point yeah. where he just couldn't even hold. Because the cameras are heavy. Yeah. They're really uh, no joke. So like, And they you know. shot this one with the RELX uh, Mini, which isn't going to be as big as the and he- as heavy as the, the big the Alexa. Alexa. But, but definitely, I mean, with all the stuff that they, I'm sure, had on there with, you know, Mm-hmm. all the the kits and stuff is definitely not going to be be a light camera because most of those cameras now you see them on stabilizers and cranes totally. so it was, it's not very often that you actually get to these very handheld dramas really you know when you see handheld you normally see handheld in like action sequences in big hollywood movies but you don't actually see like full drama movies shot in a handheld style much anymore that's a good point that's so really i thought that point. was again i i, I it fits so well in Lars von Trier's like technical canon, but at the same time he's still being like a a punk in the sense of not oh, doing what is um, uh, traditional in a sense. <laughs> and like, I feel like you could feel the difference too because I think with von Trier a little bit, he he is for like his camera moves a lot. But it was more frenetic in this. Yeah. And that might have been a choice, but it just seems like as a person, if he's operating, it seems like he sits a little bit more on things and doesn't, yeah. doesn't, yeah. Like, I was kind of being like, dude, like slow down at the camera a little bit <laughs> in this movie. It was like, jeez. And then the one part where they're spinning around in the room and you're yeah. just like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. It was interesting. Uh, I think this is maybe his most, in a weird way, stylistic film that he's done. Um, in a while, Nymphomaniac is so long that obviously he has a little bit of everything in there. He had mm-hmm. slow motion, he had cranes, he had black and white, he had um, documentary film um, film stock in there. He had um, handheld. He you know he had everything, and he has that all in this film too. But it's a little bit more cohesive in the sense of like I don't know how to explain it. I mean. The Nymphomaniac, it's five hours long. At least the director's cut of both of them combined. Mm -hmm. It's like five hours, I think. Um, But then this one is two and a half. So in that sense, maybe I think that's why I'm I'm feeling that. It's a little bit more like tight. Mm -hmm. But he's doing what... He's doing this... This trilogy is the... I I think he's calling it the digression trilogy. Where... In this film, just like Nymphomaniac, you have the narrative, and the narrative is chopped up in chapters, which are like almost all of Von Trier's films are, are chapter-based. Right. But but the Nymphomaniac, what was interesting about that was he had that documentary footage that you would see 
and the narrator like kind of talking about the characters of the story but then it relates to the image so in like right. in the house that jack built there's like a this isn't like really a spoiler but there's like some scenes where he's talking about how he wants to how he feels by like like what like his process of like getting another victim mm-hmm. about how when you're walking on a sidewalk and there's lamp posts and oh yeah the you, feeling as to why he does what he yeah, does and yeah and the, and, the sh- and how the shadow lengths represent his want and mm-hmm. you know and 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 you see a diagram of that drawn out and then you see him utilize it in the film and it's a form of like digression and he's interested in that um and he did it both with nymphomaniac with like fly fishing and stuff like oh, that yeah and then he's doing it here and i find that very interesting so stylistically he's with this film he's combining everything he did in manderley um everything like that but also everything yeah like dogville but also everything that he did um in uh epidemic and element of crime which you see even brief parts of dogville and element of crime and uh yeah melancholia and antichrist which is not and the nymphomaniac too because i think gainsburg they show her a little bit too yeah like, yeah and that's not that's not a spoiler because it doesn't really like it's in there but you don't really know how or when so like it's not gonna yeah, like, in, yeah. impact your viewing of it at all um so it, it's, it's I, I just find it interesting i think this is his most it's 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 definitely like everything that he's been building up to in his entire career culminates with this film. I don't know if it's his best film. It's not my favorite film. I don't think. I think you, so. Antichrist still might be my favorite, and Dogville too. I, I love Dogville so much. Um, but then again, I've seen those movies. I mean, so many times. Like you have no idea how many times. So I've seen this one once. So. I might this might become my one of my favorites or my favorite I'm not sure um but it's there 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 was one shot I'm not going to say which shot it is right now but there is one shot in this film that was one of those shots that I just got like goosebumps like oh my god is he going to go where I want him to go but at the same time didn't want him to go because I want to go there with my own films <laughs> you know what I mean like I want to hear what the, the shot a is a little bit so. of that sense of jealousy where you're just like yeah. oh fuck go there because you want to see it because he's able to create something that I can't where I'm at right now but at the same time I want it for myself you know so I wonder I wonder if I know what you're talking about we'll have to go back yeah. circle back around to that one because I am curious so he, he was touching on things here that are one are are things that I've wanted to touch on that are so like not personal but just things I've wanted to see on screen that I so in that sense it was complete like I was like in like cinema heaven like watching this movie <laughs> like I, I I just but at the at at the end of it I, like I couldn't say much because I was I was just like just kind of like. I don't know, you know. I was just like, I mean, it's hard to chewing talk about on it, for you know. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's tough to talk about because you're so like bombarded by stuff. Yeah, really. It's not, and it's. I mean, I guess we haven't really talked about exactly what it's about. I mean, it's really, it's about Matt Dillon plays a serial killer, and pretty straightforward. Yeah, it's it's about him. His arc as a serial killer, basically. Yeah, by him, and it's funny, it's interesting because the, the character chooses to tell us, the audience, 
four, I think it's four separate incidences. Five. Or five incidences. He says they're supposed to be six. Yeah. But then they do five and then an epilogue. And so like it, out of, out of, I think it's like, you know, 60 or something people that he's killed. We only, we only get four or five incidences of those scattered over a period of 12 years. So it's interesting that we see the ones that he chooses to mm-hmm. show us. Um, and they frame that right at the beginning, too. He's, yeah. He's, because there's just like this narration, not narration, there's just this, this conversation throughout. Yeah. Uh, and then he lays it out like, yeah, over this period, they'll give you six incidents. Because he's, he's being asked questions of like, why are you even the way you are? And it's, again, very similar to Nymphomaniac. The, Nymphomaniac is, is basically about two people in a room talking. And it's Charlotte Gainsbourg, you know, t- telling this guy, played by Stellan Skarsgård, her sex life mm-hmm. story. And the whole film is literally that, just that. It's a whole bunch of sequences and chapters of, of her retelling her sex life to this guy. Yeah, like her growth guy. in sex, basically. Yeah, and this is almost his growth in killing um, throughout a period of time. And it's it's literally plot wise in the sense of like growth it's the same it's almost the same movie just different act it's just different characters in a different way of it's a different sort of growth but it's also a growth that is controversial i mean you know in america violence and sex are the two most controversial things that you could talk about really Mm -hmm. you know so it's and of course von here being someone who's been fascinated by america um who but yet has never set foot in america um it's obviously a a theme that he definitely tackled in this film as is all of his other certainly because there's a perception of america from the outside too of, of like and if you you could almost take jack as a metaphor or allegory for america as a whole (laughs) in their violent growth starting out like you know if you take the first incidents incident as sort of america as it first was kind of being formed you know mid to late 1700s like you kind of get that sense of like (laughs) i don't want to go too far into the incident just yet but but what she talks about how she says it um it's just pretty straight up about about it so like you get that sense of like well this is America when it's young. And then once you get towards the end of the movie and you see his arc and you're kind of like, now America is like screaming to the world that yeah. they're a murderer and, and like <laughs> no one is really paying attention because yeah. it's so like, it just is, yeah. you know, it just, it just, it, the world knows, but they just don't care. They don't want to put the effort yeah. into dealing with it essentially. Um, so I don't know. You could, you could kind of, play it like that um but i thought the overall kind of just like just some uh filmmaking things um editing was was pretty solid oh, i think it might be um, the best editing he's done since antichrist yeah. i think mm-hmm. i mean it just was so fluid and it did to me it didn't seem like two and a half hours it know? felt pretty long to me it felt pretty but that's a chapter thing too I don't. I think the, okay. having chapters in a movie, I'm not a huge fan of in general, just because it does. Not only does it create a perceived length for your movie, like 
oh shit, we're only on chapter three and I know there's going to be six? Like, fuck. <laughs> and then it, may, it creates this, like, competition in your film. Oh, uh, okay. So, like, if you start to break down each thing as a vignette and then you're like, well, that one kind of sucked compared to the other one. Right. You know. You do that with scenes and stuff, but it's more obvious when it's a chapter. Yeah. And even though they call it an incident instead of a chapter, it's still, like, you yeah. still run into those same ideas, I guess. Yeah. Um, what I did like, though, is how... And I didn't like this at first, because I was like, well, why did you say there's six incidences, but then you only go through five? Yeah. But that also harkens to being an unreliable narrator. Right. Too. Because yeah. you also don't know, like, how real is what he's describing to you. Well, yeah, you that's... I mean? Yeah, for sure, yeah. Like, it's like that dude who just came out recently who got caught and then was like... for He got, like, charged for, like, four murders or something, but then he in court, he was like, no, I actually have killed, like, 90 people. So it's like, how many... Like, <laughs> Like, you know, serial killers like to lie. Yeah. They like to sound way cooler, yeah. quote-unquote cooler the or better than ego they are. There. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, you know, our, we're listening to this guy tell us these stories, but you're like, who the fuck are you? You know what I mean? Like, you might have killed one person. Yeah. I mean, and that's another interesting thing about the film, too, is he's, you can tell Von Trier has done his research on, like, the criminal mind and serial killer mind. Like, you can tell that he's... Jack is a combination of he's a, a of, huge combination of, of multiple, of multiple um, things and I, and but also of Von Trier himself. I mean, Von Trier has talked about how he's very OCD and Jack is OCD. Um, and you know, this is these elements. And Von Trier, he's such a sensitive filmmaker. He really is. I mean, if you look at Dogville, Dancer in the Dark, Breaking the Waves, you can't create those films and and. And have viewers throughout the world connect to these characters if you're not sensitive. He's, you know, he's, yeah, he's controversial, but I think what makes him so controversial is the fact that he's so sensitive that he's able to tap into something that gets people's, whether mm -hmm. they hate it or like it, it gets their gets people talking talking and, and it gets and, their blood going. And it's, yeah. and it's not necessarily because of what they're seeing, it's because of what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. which you know you can make a lucio fulci zombie movie and be controversial because it's bloody but it's one to be controversial because what you're just what you what you've created could be not graphic at all but be like dance in the dark and just be like it's controversial because of how it leaves you at the end you know emotionally like devastated or whatever and you can't not have that if you're not like an empath you know totally, what I mean, yeah. and 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 it's it, so it's interesting that he's this director that's done a film that's like semi autobiographical like he's put himself into this character, which I think all like artists do to some varying point. You know, in into mm -hmm. the, I mean, you only know yourself, so like no matter how what you create, you're gonna put yourself into it a little bit at least. Um, I mean, he, I mean, Guillermo del Toro has said the same thing where all of his films. Uh, like one that one little interview with him that really uh, stuck out to me was um, he was talking about Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, and he was like, "Yeah, it was a metaphor for kind of the turmoil I was experiencing in life, um, in personal life, you know, with my relationships and like his wife." And uh, I don't remember if it was when she read it or when she watched it. She went to him and was just like, "That's how bad it was. Like yeah. that's really like not what you were <laughs> Where thinking." Where you like, yeah. And he wrapped he he wraps his um, metaphors up a little more densely in mm. a um, like a less obvious way, I guess. Right. Like because Pan's Labyrinth, like Pan's Labyrinth has um, 
obvious metaphor for things and then obvious storytelling, but you wouldn't gleam necessarily that yeah. it was about Guillermo del Toro's personal life had he not yeah. said it. Whereas Von Trier is like, yeah, fucking my depression trilogy and Antichrist was because I yeah. was fucking, you know, on the I, on the low end of life and I wrote something that was me trying to yeah. write that out of me, you know? That's an interesting comparison because I think del Toro is very focused on, like, fantasy. I mean, he loves... I mean, his favorite films are fantasy-oriented, totally. you know? Um, and and Von Trier is, is very into, like, rawness, you know? But and, fantasy as well. But fantasy his as well. His films like, are very based in... And they always have some form of fantasy attached And, to like, them. his favorite filmmaker, I think, is Tarkovsky. So it's interesting to, 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 to get that... And Tarkovsky is kind of raw, but it's also shot in a very fantastical, you know, dreamlike way... And Von Trier taps into both of those. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an interesting comparison, you know, Del Toro and, and Von Trier. Because I think deep down, yeah, they're coming both from this that same root, that same mm-hmm. personal. And I think all master filmmakers do. I know? think so. You can't you can't write or or create without yeah. throwing yourself into it. Because it just is. It just Yeah. What else do you do? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um yeah, I don't know. I think that touches on quite a bit. I thought it was really good. Um, I said five out of five personally. Um, I, I, like you said, it was a real good, like, just kind of culmination yeah. of everything he's done. You even see shots of his other movies in it. Uh, I it could be his magnum opus. Could be. Yeah, I'm could thinking. Be. I'm definitely agree. Five out of five for sure. Right now, it's poss- I think it's my favorite film of the year. It's right up there with you were never really here for me at the moment. There's still a couple of films I haven't seen though. Um, oh, climax and climax stuff, so. and the favorite. The favorite. Um, yeah. So th- there's definitely a few, um, but right now I think it takes the cake. It's so it's it's it ended up being more epic than I thought it was going to, and I thought and it ended up being ended up saying more than I thought it was going to. Yet it didn't surprise me because Von Trier always delivers with he that. always goes with, the extra he, mile he always delivers <laughs> that with me um so I, I was surprised i wasn't surprised but i was i but i at the same time kind of expected less in the sense of like he just he went all out again and i wasn't really yeah. expecting him to go all out because i know that right now he's 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 still he hasn't recovered you know and this is the first film that he's done completely sober and so it's kind of interesting. Is he alcoholic or um, I, alcoholic? But I think he also like did you know some some uh, drugs. Some drugs. Like um, I think Nymphomaniac was like he was weaning that off of of that, um, and then this was his like like you know sober thing. But he still has it, you know. Um, He's still him. He's yeah. still Lars at the end of yeah. the day, no doubt. <laughs> uh, and it's important that uh, so before we get into spoilers that you. If you haven't watched the movie and you just kind of wanted to hear what our thoughts were, uh, try to watch the movie with as little knowledge about it as possible. I mean, even the trailer really didn't give away a whole lot. Um, it gives away some interesting parts, but those parts are, are not even... like When they show up in the movie, it's it's more even impactful, even though yeah. you know that you've seen it. Yeah. Um, so definitely try that. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It was pretty straightforward Von Trier, which is what I was looking, going for. Um, that's what I love about sure him. Much. He can't not be himself 
I know. <laughs> yeah. And he always, he's that, he's like kind of uh, what I think about Argento too. Is just like, whatever, dude, I'm just going to do it. Yeah, um, and yeah. he always, he pushes these boundaries. That's like, I mean, you got to have a fucking set of balls to go <laughs> as far as he goes sometimes. Like really, it's, it's really impressive how far <laughs> he actually goes. I mean, cause filmmaking is scary. And then to make a film that you know is going to get people riled up is scarier. When you just have your name connected with the title of the film, I mean, the, you look at the poster; it's the house that Jack built. Ja- the, the house that Jack built, von, Lars von Trier. Yep, like that's that, it. Like that's there was the- no credits at the beginning of the movie. That's it. That was all. Yeah, it was so it's him like, and, his, and he was the foundation for the house. Yeah, it's interesting. So I mean, it's yeah. <laughs> All right, we're going to jump into spoilers now. Um, if you haven't seen the film yet, go ahead and, you know, stop it here. Check it out. Come back. Listen to the spoiler discussion. Or if you just don't care, then here we go. But yeah. fair warning because this is a, a more recent film. And because oh, they can't. What am I saying? You can't even watch the film until fucking oh. a couple of weeks. <laughs> I'll only preface that, and it's like, well, you can't even fucking see the movie. <laughs> well, anyway, this this will exist in the ethos, um, and you can come back after the film is out and and listen to it. Um, but I don't know, maybe our our little review there made you want to go see it in theaters. Yeah, I think yeah. it's worth it to go. Oh, see yeah, it in definitely. Theaters. If you can go see it in theaters, even if it's the R-rated version, because you'll fall in love and then you'll want to see the the version we saw too. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it'll be more impactful in the theater because there are, there is some stuff in there where you're like, damn, I'm glad I saw that. And I, I'm yeah. honestly, it kind of sucks that we had to see it on this small of a screen as we did. Yeah, because I think some of it would have been a little bit better, especially RPX. I think RPX would have been. Oh my really god! <laughs> because the sound, the real kicker of this movie is the sound. Um. You don't notice it that it's the imp- most important part, but it's it's what makes it so impactful. I think, uh, especially with their voices oh, and stuff. Man, so good. But all right, so we're gonna jump into some spoilers right now. This is your fair warning. Um, okay, so tell me about the shot first, because I'm curious. Okay, so <sighs> is it the wait? Let me guess. <laughs> Was it the hunting scene? The hunting. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't with the red hats. Yeah. No. Really? Yeah. This was it's, it's one single shot. One single shot in the, the movie film. where you were like, damn, that's the shot I've wanted to do. Yeah. Was it early on or late on, later, later on in the movie? Yeah. Really? It wasn't during uh, the hell sequence, right? Yeah. Oh, it was during yeah, the yeah. hell sequence. So was it the really, really crazy fucking the, with all the bodies on the wall and they're yeah. coming down the ladder? Okay, so the... Well, that's one thing I really like about him, because ever since, I've, I haven't seen like a lot of his earlier stuff, but since Antichrist, he always has that one shot that's still, it's lit weird, the yeah. color goes really crazy, it's in super slow-mo, Antichrist has it when she's like wandering through the field and stuff, and then he does it again, and I just love those yeah. shots too. And Melancholia, the part of Chris, Kristen Dunn, she's like naked, and she's like by the water and the bathing in the moonlight, completely bare. Oh, right, you yeah. Know? Exactly. Um, so like he has those, he, he does that. There's that one, yeah. and he does it twice in this, because when they're walking through the, the like waterfalls of blood or whatever. Um, it's those shots, those those. I guess it's more than that one. It's the shot but that of that one you're talking about is like the one. The one with like the, the you see the bodies in the wall mm-hmm. and they're moving. Oh, and they're like climbing God. down the ladder down just, or whatever. 
it's fucking like there's like just those bodies that are just like the wall of hell is mm-hmm. like built on these bodies and they're moving though but it's in slow motion mm-hmm. and just oh my god i can't i just i want to pay the movie ticket price just to see that one shot again because like i googled yeah. it and i couldn't find that fucking shot <laughs> it's not you're not gonna be able to see it until the movie comes out yeah. and people start screaming. but it's one of those it. things i just want to like that i want that in all my screensavers you know like <laughs> totally that, um, no, that sequence was pretty crazy and like because i that whole hell sequence when you find out that throughout the whole film he's talking to virgil who you know is virgil that in in Dante's, Dante's Inferno, Inferno yeah. is the one that takes Dante through hell mm-hmm. and he takes Jack to hell and I, I just there's something about hell and I'm not religious but there's something about hell and, the, and and people journeying through hell and taking them into hell that I love I love the movie drag me to hell because at the very end of it she gets literally dragged into hell I love mother because there's she goes through like a hell and mm-hmm. and i th- those type of films where they the filmmaker goes almost literal with it i just fucking love it you there's know a lot of powerful imagery that can be yeah, wrapped around irreversible hell. that tunnel is like a hell you know mm-hmm. like there's so much to that and i wasn't expecting at the opening of this movie that von Trier was going to go there and then when he does my heart just like it's like the it's like the dance sequence in Black Swan where like I get like those goosebumps are like you know, it's like the. I don't feel emotion in movies when it comes to like character emotion. I I what I get is that sense of like, the filmmaker is taking me somewhere that I want to see and I'm seeing it mm-hmm. like I'm living vicariously yeah. through, the filmmaker's eyes in a way. Totally. Like feel oh that. my god, his vision, he's making his vision come to life. And I get high on that, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And because that's a personal vision of my own, seeing him kind of fulfill that got me excited. Totally. And I was like, where is he going to go? Is he going to go where I want to go with it? Where is he Where is he going to take me? And it just was one of those, like, I just, like, it just, you know, it just did that. It, 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 and, it, it, and that's what he did with Antichrist for me. And to me... He didn't go as far as I wanted to go, which I'm glad because then I can do that in my movie uh, or movies or whatever. Um, and like, I, I I have a whole trilogy of films that my brother and I were were you know mm-hmm. started writing that it's called we we called it the Hell Trilogy, um, and it's ba- basically you know about the, throughout the trilogy of the films it just takes you down you know yeah um, and so I just those sequences and von Trier is so underrated when it comes to creating you know he, you think of his films and you think of certain things about von Trier films but he's also he's able to compose beautiful and memorable shots and not all filmmakers can do that you know like michael haneke is one of my favorite filmmakers but there aren't necessarily shots of his that you remember you remember the film maybe, but you don't necessarily remember particular shots mm-hmm. connected to the, the film. Whereas Von Trier, in like every single one of his films, there is, there's at least a particular shot that you remember. And even for weird like handheld films or, hand, you know, camera, really you don't really think of shots, but with him, he somehow makes it work. You True. Know? So I don't know. It's just 
Oh, I definitely agree. That sequence was very memorable, um, and seemed like it was going to get cheesy, but it kind of doesn't yeah, somehow. Yeah, he borders it. He borders that, yeah. Which, I like that, but I didn't like it. Like, some of the lava things, lava bits, I was like, mm. Like, I wasn't quite... I wasn't quite getting into it. At the same time, I was like really respecting it though, because I'm like, well, it's hell. For me, hell doesn't really exist in as an actual place. So I was like, and this is his vision of it, so it could be whatever the fuck he wants hell to be. It's true. At yeah. the same time, I think maybe just the 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 graphics of it, like the computer graphics of it, just maybe wasn't. It wasn't cheesy, like you said, but it was like started to go a little bit out there. And then yeah. when, you, when you when you make that move, that shift away from what is uh, generally a fairly quote realistic or realism based movie, and yeah. shift to non realism or surrealism, yeah, then you're like, okay, like you know, you, there is that fine line of. Like, I think cheese. that's what was interesting about it is, and it kind of reminded me of, the, of how you kind of talked about the ending of Suspiria with that art film school feel to it this i didn't get that film that art film school feel to it but i it threw me out a little bit kind of like how that mm -hmm. the shutter speed stuff threw you off in suspiria because the whole movie for two hours and ten minutes you get this handheld very it's documentary documentary it's, grounded it's, in yeah. kind of a reality feel and then you get these beautiful slow motion shots which that didn't take away from me because then I could see him knowing him as a filmmaker. You, you know, that that's there for a reason. He's doing something that you're, fo you're now honed in. You're now focused on what he's doing, mm -hmm. but then it goes back instead of just a montage of slow motion sequences, it goes back to that same style of handheld style, but yet you're in a different world. You're literally in hell you're not well, there's in, a lot lot less handheld though right it is yeah it's, it's not sequence. as handheld it's but it's definitely not the slow motion that you got where right. you're like in that heightened world like oh we're there now mm -hmm. it goes back to the just more traditional which didn't quite work for me i kind of wanted the film to just end on these you know 15 minutes of slow motion sequences you know of him going through hell for me, me it would have been like wow he just made the most beautiful film ever made you know what i mean yeah the end of the <laughs> very very end the last like couple minutes was definitely a little like i don't really care either like i don't want him to make it and i know he's gonna fall because i know this they just, yeah. the movie has to end that way and then the way he presented that last set piece with the broken bridge and the wall and the weird lava that dropped down into yeah. like infinity was just I don't know. I didn't like that set piece as much, yeah. especially with the impact of the wall of humans before that too. I'm, I'm. There's a part of me that likes it, but then there's also yeah, like there's another part of me that's like, man, I really wanted to see him go with Virgil Moore. I wanted to see him go back because he said to meet me to go back down the way he came. don't go the way that you think you can get to. Yeah, go back and go back. And I, and I was like, well, cool, because if he goes back, then we can see more of hell. Or if he is able to make it, 
it would be kind of funny and deep and darkly comic that he as a serial killer makes it to heaven and i kind of wanted to see what von Trier's heaven looks like <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know if I want to see his heaven. I really wanted. I really did. I was like, this could be really funny, and it could be genius because I didn't know what he was going to do with that. But I was expecting him to fall, and he did. So I was kind of disappointed that I guessed what was going to happen, and sure enough, it did. Especially since you said it would have been more darkly funny had he yeah. made it. <laughs> so at the same time, but though I, I I liked how it ended, it makes sense. You know, it's not like he as the artist uses the god hand and does something completely out of character of the film because the film does kind of maintain its voice Mm -hmm. throughout um so i don't know but then again i've only seen the movie once so i i might really grow to like how he ended up staging it and it's definitely one you have to watch again to get that like better sense yeah um all right um well, I guess I should finish, finish that. So yeah, you, you do need to watch it again because there's a lot to unpack. Uh, there's a lot that they talk about in the end for sure. It gets so esoteric. You're just kind of like, you know, you really need to kind of think about it. See yeah. it again and think about yeah. it. Um, what I do want to address too are the kind of other con- more controversial okay, yeah, bits cool. of it. Uh, <laughs> so obviously the first sequence has Uma Thurman in it. Um, she is this sort of like rich bitch character who just is calling him a serial killer and talking about serial killing. And she has a Jack with her car and they say Jack a lot right at the beginning to really (laughs) tell you that there's some Jack going on. And, um, obviously she gets bashed in the face, uh, which was shown in the trailer, which kind of added to like a... I don't know, the sort of... Con- the first step in how this movie is controversial. The second second incident, probably my favorite one, honestly. Because it's so fucking funny. <laughs> this, like, OCD sequence that they do. Where he's, like, he leaves the house and then imagines that he missed the spot behind... Like, in places blood where spot. blood would never get. Yeah. Like, behind a picture. Or under one peg leg of a chair. <laughs> And like all this shit, so he goes back in the house, and he has to check, and then he goes back out, and then he has to go back in the house. He keeps going, and it does it for like five times. Yeah, like it's like over, overly done. And then a cop shows up, (laughs) and so he's in the house with the cop, and he's got this dead body, and he's still checking. (laughs) He goes back and checks the same places he just checked, and uh, he has to hide the body like in the in the like bushes right next to his car. And he's talking to this cop, and he's, like, trying to, like, be, like, all, quote, helpful in his own way of, like, you know, I have my rights, and, and blah, 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 And then, <laughs> this scene goes on for, this is, like, a 20-minute sequence. This is a long chunk of the movie. And then, he fucking ties the body to the back of his van <laughs> under the nose of the cop. Who happens to, like, look out the window right before he goes to drive away. So he, like, waits and yeah. drives away. And then he just cranks it and fucking drives away, dragging this body. And then it starts to play the song. <laughs> and you have this, like, upbeat song as he's, like, dragging this body across town. Like, there's this streak <laughs> Massive of blood. blood trail right to his house. <laughs> And then he's like, well, there must be a god because then it rains and washes the whole blood trail away. It, I mean, it's brilliant because it fits so well with like how 
egotistic serial killers are. It is. It's so he was so brazen. Yeah. And um for for folks listening who don't necessarily know much about the psychology of serial killers, it's never it never starts um at a high level. It always builds. It's yeah. always like they always stumble onto their first murder. They always stumble onto the feeling that it gave them. Yeah. And then they have to try it again. But then they plan it a little bit. But then there's always that point where, like, it's not that they get bored doing it, but they just need, they want to yeah. increase the high. It's just yeah. like, oh, I did heroin, and yeah. I want to do more heroin, and shit like that. And so in this case, what I really like, too, is because this is sort of in his sort of, like, Jeffrey Dahmer phase <laughs> of things, where he's, like, the glasses, and he's fucking kind of dorky, and he just doesn't talk much. And, and, and Dahmer kind of did some of the same shit, actually. Uh, with one of his victims, he like got out, and Dahmer, chase like was following him, and then I can't remember the guy was like talking. Basically, he almost got caught because and he had to basically talk his way and say no, he's just like, he's he's drunk or whatever and he's sleepy, so yeah. I gotta take him back. And and I can't remember if it was a cop that wow. he was actually talking to or not, but I mean it was like that close. It was yeah. this almost exact scene. But then, yeah, there's always that moment where they, they do something. One thing yeah. is like, oh, I'm going to be brazen about it and just see what I can get away with. And in this case, he fucking drags I, the body. I like. think what's so great about it is the progression. I think it's genius how Von Trier, like creates that progression because the first kill that we see, Uma Thurman, I mean, like, she, she, they do it in a way that the filmmaker or the, the audience kind of wants her to get killed. Absolutely. So you're, you're with the killer. You know, as the audience, that it's morally wrong, but you're kind of rooting for him through the second kill because, one, you're like, oh, fuck, how's he going to do it? How's he going to get away with it? Because you kind of want him to get away with it, even though you know that he just killed this innocent lady. Mm -hmm. And then because of the OCD and the humor in it, the humor is what makes you kind of root for him. And and then he and then Vontier just kind of keeps playing with that. And then later on, when he does some crazier shit, you're like, oh, wow, I actually did not mean to root for that guy. I take my vote back. I take my vote back, But yet please. still maintaining a, a, a funny and humorous film. I mean, this is the funniest Von Trier has been since, I think, The Idiots, you know? like Yeah. Um, I mean, all of his films are funny. I mean, they really are. I mean, there are parts of, of Antichrist that are fucking hilarious. They're really... I mean... And that's a Danish thing, you know. The Danish filmmakers are known for their dark humor, mm -hmm. and Von Trier has that in spades, and all of his films do. But this is, this is definitely like overall. I mean, I would even go so far as like you know, you could put murder, um, drama, you know, uh, horror, comedy as genres in, for this film because oh, totally. it's so 100%. funny throughout the whole fucking movie 100%. um and which leads me to the next incident which the second incident's hilarious because once that music kicks on and he's dragging the body oh, yeah. everyone is just laughing and that one dude in the theater up. who's just like rocking out Rock, man. Yeah, yeah. he was just yeah. like headbanging and then they end that sequence <laughs> where he's like putting bringing the body into his like um little fucking freezer and he pulls back the the flap of plastic and her face is just like obviously just scraped the fuck off and he's kind of like shocked by it almost yeah he's like what i didn't expect that to happen <laughs> <laughs> and then 
which leads right into Incident 3, which is probably what you could consider the most controversial of the whole movie, uh, which is the hunting scene, <laughs> which I don't... Uh, and up to this point, you're, there has been there's been parts where you've really laughed at this movie, and it just gets so, this the scene gets so fucking ridiculous. And then this is obviously the part where not obviously, but this is the part where he sh- shows like two children being murdered, and then not only that, but he like m- like kind of whiffs his first shot on the kid and like shoots him in the leg, and then shoot like he's on the ground. This is not funny. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it is weird. It totally is funny. And, and then and then he shoots the kid and kills him. And then like the other kid like sticks his head out to like look. <laughs> this is not funny at all. It's not. It's like when you say it, it's just not funny at all. But then, <laughs> God damn it! But then the scene keeps going because. He like gets there and he like <laughs> poses the children and forces the mom to have a picnic and he's like talking to them to the dead kids that are posed in this picnic and he's like, Oh, you need to feed them. So he like makes her like fucking feed them. And he's just like, This is this has been a great day. Like he's so positive about <laughs> he's just like He's like, this has been a great day. He says it multiple times. Like, this, Jesus, you know. he's so happy about it. <laughs> but I, let's go back to the first kid getting shot. It was brilliant. Like, they they don't like show him like a close up of his finger pushing and pulling a trigger and then like a blood spurt or something. Like, you see the kid get from his leg from the scope get shot and almost completely almost detached i mean it's only attached through like sinew and, and some muscle oh, yeah but the the it goes complete it's like like the, it it's almost gone and the the kid just from the power of the bullet almost like does a flip in the air yeah and he and he falls you know and and then the other kid i mean like you know full metal jacket pink mist sort of stuff you know it's like yeah. the full head you know you get the the, the satisfying he you got know toned. like red mist there um but what what's interesting too is it just cuts to the horror that the then you then then by like it, it kind of cuts and you get this this close-up of the mother mm-hmm. and and you don't really exactly know what she's doing and then it kind of pans out and you and you see the the two dead children there and he's she's he's making her feed them and then it gets kind of sad, and you're like, fuck, what I just watched was kind of funny and awesome. And I feel bad and, now. And, but then you kind of, you, you know, you kind of like, oh, shit, now now we're in, like, real territory. And I'm glad that he went there because it, it, was, it would be easier to just stop at the kids getting killed. And it's, yes, it's, it, it's funny, but at the same time, his kids getting killed. But he furthers it by making you feel for the mom but then he by stretching it out it becomes funny again it's because true. he's like you're just watching this this grief-stricken mom who's completely in shock feed her kids but then you get this he, Matt Dillon is just so or Jack is so happy cuz he's just having a fucking ball that it's funny right. but then you go back into horror because and then she runs she's running so this scene keeps going yeah. cuz she makes a run for it yeah 
And then it's that weird, it's that weird cartoon sequence where he like looks to where he thought she was at, but she's actually like gone again already. Yeah. And so he's like tracking her. Yeah. And it's like, it's like unrealistic how far she actually got. Yeah. That whole cartoon thing. And then, and then he finds her and then just like shoots her in the back and then just kind of like leaves. But the scene keeps going <laughs> to probably what I think is the absolutely darkest comedic <laughs> shot ever put on the screen. So he takes, he takes all the bodies back. That's his thing is he, he's a body collector pretty up too so that's that aspect of serial killing too it's kind of a Dahmer thing too where you collect some you know there's different types of serial killers dylan generally like generally they aren't um in the same way jack is he's a amalgamation of all of them but uh so he takes them back and he's like to like a freezer it's his freezer yeah Yeah. and then this whole time you know him and verge virgil are, are having this conversation that comes in and out and they're they're talking and i can't remember exactly what he says but he's like um there's, there's, for some reason, he decides to do something with the child, and he decides to f- like yeah. set him up, and like pose him like a doll. Because he the says freezer. something about like hunters. He's talking about hunters and how they take trophies. You That's, know, yeah, like, what, like yeah. you know, they they take the the deer head and they mount it on the wall yeah. or whatever. Like a, uh, uh, like what um Bates did in in Psycho. You know, he oh, uh, he does. Boy, uh, yeah. What's the term? Uh, when they stuff animals, taxidermy. Yeah. So. He takes him to the freezer, and you're kind of like, you know, you have that that hidden shot where you can't really see, but you can kind of see that the kid's there. <laughs> and then he steps back. And he's <laughs> he's posed this kid with this huge Joker style grin, and he's and the kid's like frozen or whatever because he's in the freezer, and so he's like sitting like this doll. And you can see, like, the leg is, like, barely hanging on. But it's this huge, huge grin. It's so, it's like this, like, it's... <laughs> it's so, the whole theater starts laughing. And it was probably one of the most uncomfortable laughs, like, ever. Because it's so effed up <laughs> because of the way this whole sequence has played out it's fucking hilarious <laughs> i mean because the kid is like <laughs> he looks like he's painted because <laughs> because like with clown makeup because like rigor mortis has set in he's frozen and he's also just contorted in this way where it's just so it's just fucking hilarious like and then that kid becomes sort of like the main staple of the house later yeah, too. When yeah. He fills the house of bodies. Yeah. He's like right at the front door. He's <laughs> <laughs> like greeting. He's like greeting you in the house almost. Yeah, <laughs> it's so. That's it's so fucking wrong. funny, man. It's so brilliant. I've it's... never felt so bad laughing at something. <laughs> I never thought oh, I would man. see like literally the darkest moment. Like not only taking the taboo that is child murder in film, but stretching it into something that you end up laughing at. Well, it, oh my god! I, and I think that's what's so brilliant about it because, it, but it, when you really think about it, though, the movie isn't that graphic. It's really not, it's that, not graphic. that graphic. You know, he hides a lot. He hides a lot, lot and. Like, the Uma Thurman thing, like, I feel like the trailer showed her getting hit multiple times, but in the film, yeah. it's actually only, like, he repeats the shot, but it's only ever one shot. Yeah, and, and, 
and there's even part, bits of the trailer that aren't in the movie that but I noticed because totally yeah. I watched um, the the trailer again after watching it, and there's a whole the whole part of like that shiny scene. I don't know if it's sun or something, but it's like him looking up in the forest, and it's like a shiny. Oh, I don't remember the trailer enough. I guess. But it, it, it's not even in the movie, so hmm. I, you know, it's interesting. Um, and we saw the director's cut too, so it's not like we saw a version that you know what I mean, right? Um, so, but yeah, I didn't think the movie was again I, for the for squeamish people. I mean, yeah, there are parts that are, but for 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 someone who like for horror oh, fans shot, that yeah, are going to yeah. watch, you know, this film, it's nothing. You're not going to see anything. That you haven't already Blood, seen. Bloody-wise, that you haven't really already seen, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in a way, I think Mother w- was maybe more visually unsettling in the sense of, like, you see a baby peeing in the air and gets its head getting, cracked, yeah. you know, in a way. It wasn't anything more graphic than anything here. I mean, you saw you see Riley Keough's, like, breasts get... <laughs> like cut off close up but it's not even a full but it's like a second yeah he like cuts you know? in and you kind of see it and then he cuts away yeah and then you see the duck get its um that's leg yeah. cut off which also i thought was hilarious because i saw uh this thing that said um there's a lot of outrage for that but then PETA came out and, and said P- yeah actually we really like that scene yeah. because it shows the truth behind the uh that growth of psychopathy yeah. that starts as a child yeah and that it was true to the like nature of that. Yeah, basically. which I really uh, like applaud PETA for coming out and saying like no, like this film is representing animal abuse in a very real way. Mm-hmm. And they even just said and the effects are great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they they are. Like they are. looking at the effects I was like holy shit, I didn't see it as an effect. I saw it as him really, you know, like it looks like it he's did, yeah. really It looks like he's cutting the, the And then he throws the duck back in the water and yeah. it's like floundering around and I mean, whatnot. And again it just the editing of that. Mm-hmm. I was just like whoa, like it's just so so well done. Mm-hmm. Um I forgot about this part too. The trailer just showed me where he when he's pulling the body down in the second incident and he's pulling it down the stairs yeah. and it's like hitting like every step <laughs> on the way down. <laughs> and there's like sped up shots. There's like shots of him going up. There's like there's like a sequence of him in like in an apartment building and there's like three or four levels. And oh, he yeah. goes, it's like a sped up of him going up all these levels and down these outside hallways where people are in their kitchens like looking out windows and he's walking right by them carrying bodies <laughs> and they don't even think what like they don't even think about it yeah you know? this shot right here yeah because he pulls or no he pulls back on that building and he's like it's yelling out the building he's like, Help, yeah. help me. he's like making her yell and whatnot like no one cares and that's totally like almost like a jacques tati type thing yeah, too, yeah. where it's like this weird physical comedy or like yeah. you know silent film comedy that happens and it's just like little yeah, moments just, like that. They're and you know he and he's but it's not anything that he hasn't done before. He has sped up sequences in Dogville, you know. So it's but it just culminates in this thing where he he does it in a way that it it still feels fresh. Mm-hmm. And it, it I don't know. It's just I mean there is you cannot say that Lars von Trier is not one of the best filmmakers of our time when you're looking at this. You know, mm-hmm. it's just. It's crazy. It's just there, there's crazy. the shot right it's there. Awesome. The shot that you were just talking about. 
fudge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like it's amazing. Oh, oh god. god. I, I mean, I, oh, I honestly, and and it's also a shame that I doubt Matt Dillon is going to get any recognition. He deserves so much for his performance here. Holy because crap! He is able to tap into <clears throat> just. The comedy here is brilliant. I mean, not every actor can do comedy, and not every actor can play a, a, a serial killer, and not every actor can go as dark as he does. And he does all three. He does everything. Yeah, in this film. I mean, he, he shifts in personality like psychopaths do. Yeah. He's really good at his line delivery. Everything about it was so yeah, slick. There's monologues so here slick. that he's performing, there's mm-hmm. physical comedy that he's doing. There's like you know he's doing stunts you know he's mm-hmm. he's doing the gamut here and again Lars von Trier is so good at getting performances from his leads predominantly women and that's another interesting thing about this film this is really the first film that he's done where it's focused on a male the male is the protagonist here because um, most of his films are always the female is the protagonist so mm-hmm. that's that is a departure so it is kind of cool to see him depart a little bit. And try and do something new, but he, he, his he's, he gets the best performances out of people's careers. I mean, Nicole Kidman has more than one multiple great performances, but Dogville is has to be one of her best, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but Matt Dillon here, I mean, he's not known as being a great actor. You know what I mean? Like, which he's, is crazy to me because after this movie, I am sold on this guy. Yeah, I know like, that's the thing. Like, I am so incredibly impressed yeah. the whole time. I mean, every everybody in the cast, and he brings a big cast here. You know, Riley Keough, she's been in a lot of things lately, that, and she's she's been killing it. Mm-hmm. Um, Uma Thurman, obviously. Uma Thurman what just the fuck with Uma Thurman being in this, also it, by the way. And she and her performance in *Nymphomaniac* was like one of the best. one of the best yeah. in that whole film. So to have her kind of come back in like, a smaller part was in, great. I, what I'm curious about, though, is specifically with her, is what does she see in Von Trier? That but, she's yeah. like, oh, I want to be in his movies. But I think everybody does. I mean, Lauren Bacall worked with her with him twice. Nicole Kidman still wants to work with him again. He got the, um, um, he got what's her face in Melancholia. Um, Kirsten yeah, Dunst. Kirsten Dunst, uh, mm. Catherine Deneuve. You know, he gets the biggest names in film um, to work with him, um, and a lot of the time more than more than once you know he's got his posse you know he's got his posse like Udo Kier and Willem Dafoe and Jeremy Davies and Stellan Skarsgård and you know the usual suspects so to speak um that you see in Von Trier films um the lady who plays the second um murder uh re murder the murder uh, person. victim um yeah. forget her name she's in a whole bunch of Von she's Trier a films. character actor yeah, too. yeah. so it you know, but then you get, you know, Dylan, this is his first time um, in a Von Trier film. And he, he just fucking knocks it out. Dude, of the I think, oh, Dancer in the Dark has Bjork in it. Yeah. Like, you know? she's the main person. I think, dude, I honestly think Dylan's going to get some recognition here. I hope he does. He will. I really does. I really hope. Because, I mean, I do know that the Academy does like it. Like, when Denzel... You know, he always plays good guys, but when he played the bad guy in Training Day, he won the Oscar for that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and who would really think that Training Day would get Oscar nominated, you know what I mean? Um, I love that movie, but you know what I mean? Yeah, it's not totally, like a... Totally. But, you know, so I, I really do hope that Dylan does get recognition. He will. Um, because 
it's definitely deserved. And I'm not just <clears throat> saying that because it's a Lars von Trier film. If if any filmmaker made this movie <clears throat> without the themes and stuff, but you still had Dylan's performance in it, he sh- he should he deserves be, it. Yeah, des- it, like, it, completely objectively speaking. Yeah. Like you said, he's combining so many things. Like to first of all, get in the head of a serial killer. Second of all, to get in the head of multiple serial killers. Yeah. Because by the end of it, he's pretty much Bundy. Yeah. And he he's... goes with this weird gamut of like the major like American serial killers. Yeah. Um, I and mean, it, they're pulling from everything. Totally. Jack the Ripper, the Black Dahlia guy, because he's taking photos. You know, BTK. BTK. Yeah. Um, Bundy, like you said, Dahmer, Dahmer. definitely. Um, a little bit of fucking Gacy in there, is in there too. Yeah. Like yeah. Ed Gein for sure with the wallet. Oh, with the, the wallet. <laughs> with the wallet. <laughs> And that's the thing too, because like you don't expect it, but then he then he does it, and then you see it, and then you're like, well, of course, like it, it's I don't know, it's just everything about that, the progression, oh the buildup of every single thing, it's just like, oh my god, and to think that he did this film in the span that he did it, you know what I mean? Like he he got he 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 had filmed this film like over a year ago, you know, the pre production process was a while. Mm-hmm. for the for the movie um so i don't know it's just I, it's just nuts how he was able to really make this film um, it really is and i'm glad that they showed this director's cut because it's just it's so it's fucking impressive the fact that this movie got made is pretty impressive yeah. the fact that he was able to finance this script which is an absurd script if yeah. you really break down the yeah. writing of it it is fucking absurd and then to get all these people big names on it to come in and help out yeah. and, and make this shit happen is, is extremely impressive. I mean, I, th- I think it's also impressive. I mean, you're getting, this is, this is, this film got funding from Sweden, um, Denmark, France, France, and maybe even England, I think. Yeah. So you're getting people from multiple nationalities and countries looking at this script and giving him money. Mm-hmm. Like, like one cannot say that this film doesn't touch on things that aren't important. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. because it's so easy to just dismiss this film. And I can see tabloid fucking titles already. Like, Lars von Trier's latest schlock masterpiece or schlock film or disgusting film or whatever mm-hmm. they want to say. No, 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 no. It's so much more than just this movie about blood and killing people you know what i mean and, totally and that's what pisses me off about filmmakers that are like quote controversial because it's filmmakers like Lars but are so much more than that you know it's easy to <clears throat> excuse me it's easy to uh um simplify it down yeah yeah to, to oh well it's just just violence it's just whatever yeah. but it's like but like most things that involve like a lot of killing especially in the, and this movie is yes there are the parts that are ridiculous and gross but i mean we've talked about films and seen films that are way more yeah, violent i mean really i mean james bond movies are more violent you know james bond's Just body count john wick's body counts way more way more than what you see here totally um it's just and, that who he's yeah it's the focus the micro focus and who yeah they talk about in the movie that makes it something that's more extreme but Within all that, and like what generally good horror does, is like there is a discussion there. Yeah. There's a very serious topic that he's trying to get at with this. 
and using that violence as a means yeah. to get you to talk. And it is getting people to talk, whether or not they want to or not, whether they like it or not. They're all talking yeah. about it and, for various reasons. I mean, we're in spoiler territory. He gets his comeuppance at the end, you know? He does He, go, he goes to hell. He goes to hell. Um, which, for the majority of people that are, you know, I, at least in America here, I think the majority of, of Americans are Christian. That's the ultimate revenge and yeah. it's, so to speak totally. you know so he 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 gets his uh his just dessert or whatever you know um maybe it's just not filmed in a way that maybe one would feel like satisfied but that's von Trier, you know yeah. um so i, I really <clears throat> like that though um yeah that it that there is an arc there you know Von Trier was smart enough to, you know, to really not just just show a snapshot. There, there is a arc, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah. Um, and I think it was awesome that at the beginning of our screening, we got a, a, a an intro by Matt Dillon saying, like, you know, I hope you laugh, I hope you cry, or you know, in this yeah. movie while you watch, you know, I I want you to feel and be comfortable doing all of these things while you watch this movie, and then it, and then Von Trier comes in and he has like his own little personal thing mm-hmm. to say, and he says, you know, he said, make sure you watch it to the end, and I think that was him saying like, no, I'm not just being Von Trier pushing the envelope, I am saying something totally. here, you know, um, <clears throat> absolutely, so. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, is there anything else you want to touch on? Kind of, I feel Gosh, like we I'm kind sure, of I feel like I can probably go on and on about this movie, but I feel like we really need to see it at again this to talk point. About it yeah, so just more, having you know? seen it once, it's like I think we did we did cover a lot of stuff. I mean, we could go on about like political stuff with the the the, the, the make you know make America great again hat oh, reference. Yep. You know, there's so much things we can t- talk about in this movie, but I think we did cover like the vast majority of kind of like. At least our so, initial thoughts. I gotta, I gotta fit this in here because you had your harmony pun. So I gotta, I gotta. Oh throw God! This in oh no! So would you oh, say no. that uh, Matt Dillon murdered this role? <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> had to, had to do it. Yes, he uh. did. He did. He did. He definitely <laughs> murdered it. Oh God. I'm, I'm Damn, try, I'm proud of I'm, that I'm, one. I'm gonna try and think of another one here. <laughs> that one wasn't even like that that smart, but I'm fucking proud of it. And Bruno Gans definitely did a a, a, a hell one hell of a performance. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> he was oh, on man. the verge of something great. Oh God! <laughs> Jesus. Jake, Jacob, this is these are for you. I know, damn it. <laughs> uh, I feel like he would he'd be killing it with some more. Uh, uh, we didn't even talk too much about him, but he was cool when he shows up because they're talking, and I really yeah. liked his voice. Yeah, but then when he shows up later, you're, you're just like he was he was a cool yeah. cool character. Yeah, Bruno Gans, man, he's definitely one of the great um, actors of like cinema actors. You know, mm-hmm. um, absolutely, he's got a great career. Absolutely, damn, yeah. I really, I'm interested to rewatch this one. I'm uh, just kind of looking at the trailer and stuff again. Definitely can't wait to check it out again. Um, all right, we'll wrap it up. Uh, we both definitely dug it. Five out of five, worth the watch in theaters if you can. Um, bring your friends. Bring, bring Have your a friends. good time with it. 
don't be afraid to yeah. to feel um, when you're watching it for sure. And it, it don't. I know we laughed at stuff. Uh, I know there's some ser- there's serious stuff in the movie. Yeah. Um, don't be afraid, or like don't take what other people say about the movie yeah. as like as like a fuck. I don't know if I want to watch that or like oh fuck that. It just seems stupid. There there is something actually deeper there. Um, it's not gonna be everyone's cup of tea. I get that, but I mean in the long run, it's a film. It's only a film. It didn't really happen. I mean, this stuff really does happen, but this movie doesn't condone any sort of violence. No. I never got that impression. It's never at glorifying all. it at no. one point no. or another. So I, I I think it's I think it's yeah, I mean I Yeah. You <laughs> gotta watch. We recommend. You got a recommendation from us. So uh yeah, uh, so stick around. So Jacob wasn't with us, obviously, now that you've reached the end of the episode. Um, but stick around after the break for the pitch fest because he does do a pitch with us. Um, and uh, it was a, it's a bit longer pitch fest, but it's pretty cool. It, 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 there was some good yeah. discussion in there. Um, he will be back next week, and we will be talking about Blood Simple and Samsara. Um, but yeah, stick around and uh, listen. Listen to what we have pitched. Sweet. Thanks, guys. Welcome back. This is the back-to-back pitch fest where we each have 30 seconds to pitch a plot to a movie based on this week's topic and then we vote on who's his best. Uh, This week it's a pretty heavy discussion on uh, the house that Jack built and you can call that film an allegory. I think you can make the argument. Even if you can't, regardless, we're doing allegories this week for the pitch and Jacob is here for the pitch. Um... And I think you actually go first. All right. Time. So, and I'm not in the regular episode because I have a cold, as you could probably tell by my <laughs> deep, sultry voice. It's more deeper and more sultry than normal. So, uh, so yeah, I'm just hitting the same tone consistently with with my voice right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you're here for this part. Which is nice, because I think it's nice for you to read your your own pitch. Um, We're doing... Yeah. All right. So, let's see. Allegories. All right. What's your title? Tirana. Tirana. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you spell that? T-A-R-A-N-A. Okay. Tirana. All right. Are you ready? Yes, I am. Um, and go. In Sweden, 3500 BC, a family of ten with seven sisters and one brother all live on a farm. Following the boy as he ages, he begins to see that his mother and sisters all fear their sexually abusive father. He sees his father kill his mother when she resists him sexually. Then he sees his father elect the older sister to become the new mother. She resists and gets killed. Eventually, the sisters retaliate and kill their father. The boy becomes ashamed of his identity and struggles to balance his relationship with his sisters, even though they tell him that he's not the same. Dang. 
Fuck, Pretty close. This, this is actually really hard. I think guessing is gonna be super hard. Okay, so we, we might have to hear it again. We might in have its entirety to. later, maybe. maybe. Like, okay, mm. so I didn't preface this at the beginning of the episode, and I apologize. Um, so we're doing allegories after all said and done, and I guess after we like pick whoever wins, we'll go back through and, and see if we can kind of suss out what the allegory is. Um, or not if we all just suck at doing it <laughs> well, well i guess we'll figure that out uh, so allegories so, are, are hard because they take that extra knowledge that are is required outside of the film so you can't just like watch the film and understand the allegory you have to like know the something about like where it comes from you know you know what i mean yeah and exactly. allegories are, could be such a visual thing so just doing it through a pitch is it's going to be super, super hard. hard yeah and i'm trying to think mm-hmm. like what like I don't even know where to start with how to describe what your allegory is. Now that I think about it, I'm like, I, I just, oh, interesting. I'll have to. I'd have know. to hear it again. I think. We'll try it. We'll try it. All right. Yeah. Byron's gonna go next. Okay. Cool. Sweet. Uh, the title is called Cargo. All right. Are you ready? Uh, yeah. Okay. And. A young boy named Luke, known for always giving his lunch away at school, is recognized by his peers for his good deeds. Instead of finding a way to make sure that Luke always has a lunch, the other kids end up taking advantage of his generosity. Due to the fact that the whole school knows of his actions, Luke is forced to continue his generous acts, but when he ends up having to give his free time away to help tutor kids, give his gym shoes, complete group projects by himself, and ultimately share private photos of himself because he's forced to, he becomes drained and contemplates ending his life. Dang. What was that last part? He becomes drained and what? Uh, contemplates ending his life. Oh, okay. Yeah. Suicide. Ooh, I was freaking out there. <laughs> How much time did I have? You had four <laughs> seconds left. So plenty of time. Damn. Nailed it. All right. I'm next up. Uh, my title is There's Ice at the Bottom of the Pit. Okay. There's cool. Ice at the cool. Bottom cool. of the Pit. That's a cool title. Thank you. Are you ready? Uh, yes. And... While wandering through an unnamed winter landscape, a man begins to hear screams in the distance. He is then attacked by a pack of wolves, only to be saved by an abnormal fox. Lost, he follows the fox, who leads him down into a small crevice that expands into an impossibly large cavern. Down multiple levels, past people of increasing anguish and through impossible landscapes, the man eventually finds himself in an ice cavern dominated by a single, towering figure who is stuck in the ice. The man attempts to free the being only to be attacked by the fox and dragged into the water under the ice. After blacking out, he awakens on an island with a single tall mountain on it. Oh, shit. Oh, right. You're right seconds. on. Boom. Holy shit. Boom. Okay. Um, so back around to Jacob. And I guess if we... Should we try guessing first or should we vote? Maybe we vote and then guess. I was thinking we vote and vote. do all that and then we can kind of guess. Okay. Yeah guess things uh Uh, i'm gonna go with byron's um because i i i like both uh but i really like byron's like uh like this guy's just trying to like help and he's and he's overwhelmed with with helping and you know the whole idea of like your personal cargo um uh hurting your psychosis uh is really interesting to me so that Sweet. just like won it just right there. Cool. Then cool, and there. Cool. Okay. All right. Byron's got one vote. Now it's to you. Oh, fuck. I feel this is tough because I want to know. 
want to know the allegories to both because I'm not entirely sure on both of them. Um, I'll have to go with Keith's just because of the visuals at this point. I don't know if I like the allegory more than what Jacob's will be, though. Sure. <laughs> um, but I think it's because Jacob's had so many people killing different people that I, I, I need to hear it again, I think, to fully maybe see what it was about, the allegory oh, sure. part of it. Sure. Whereas Keith's I like because it's kind of... It's a little bit more just visually appealing, like how I imagined it, the way you described it. Mm, okay. Where I didn't really get a sense of like, I just got a lot of action from Jacobs, which isn't a which isn't a bad thing. Right. Um, uh, I don't know. That's tough because they're so different. Um, and I'm trying. My brain is trying to connect what they could possibly mean, but I think I feel like maybe. It'll be easier for me to connect the dots to, with Keith's. So, All right. Yeah. Nice. Fair enough. All right. Um, for me, I think I'm going to go with Jacobs. Woo! Um, <laughs> because I like the revenge aspect of it. I think there's a lot of, like, morale, moral... Um, there's a lot of like like lessons to be learned from that, I think, and I like revenge lessons. You know, a lot of filmmakers will play around with that as a, a theme and a trope. Um, I like, I think Byron's is good, but I just felt it was kind of obvious too. Cool, cool. And I think I, I don't know, I don't, I don't really <laughs> get. I want to see where Jacobs would go. Yeah. Um, which is maybe, I mean, obvious, obvious is not bad or like really plain is not bad because i think like aesop all of those like fables true, are all yeah, allegorical yeah. right yeah. um and they're all like really basic straightforward easy to understand but i think i don't know i'd, I'd be curious to see how revenge allegory kind of plays out um especially you know i, I like uh also stories that like take re- a revenge on abusive people yeah i think it's a really mm. satisfying like thing to watch so i'm gonna go jacobs um, which puts us in a tie, yeah. which is awesome. We're like doing we so good tying. We've tied a lot recently. I feel like past couple more often we're tying. Yeah, yeah. For a while there we weren't tying, and then we we started to tie more. So okay, yeah. so we'll round this off. Um, I guess by saying like the allegory is what like. I don't know. For, well, Jacob, you kind of started to talk to Byron's a little bit, where it's like the allegory is just like having your cargo be more of a burden to you than you would expect or like your good deeds being more of a burden is that is that correct am i correct on this yeah is that that is what i said but is that what you're thinking byron do i say well i guess well i don't know jacob is that what you think do you want me to speak to it yeah uh yeah it just kind of felt like um it felt like one of those things where you're when you're being nice you carry extra weight sort of a thing and uh just like the the burden of uh, being a kind person uh is sometimes not worth it you know and sometimes it's better to be selfish i guess uh 
just depending on the situation, uh, especially if you're driven to uh, suicide from through your kindness, unless there's something else happening underneath. But as far as the allegory goes, I don't. I feel like it's one of those ones where it's connected to like the a person, you know, like a and the individual's experience versus like a cultural phenomena or a historical thing or a political thing. Okay. Yeah, cool. and also cool. I think you're. I get the feeling that it's like a, a biblic, biblically based allegory too. Okay. Sort of get yeah. a Jesus thing going on, and then the whole kind of like how far you have to go and how brutalized you'll be for um, pure kindness, essentially. Yeah, or like yeah. Altruistic yeah, kindness. it is. I guess it is kind of the Jesus allegory, yeah. too, because it's like he's giving a bunch, and then at the end he uh, kills himself, which you could argue that that is the story of Jesus, like because he knows like what he's doing when he goes and gets crucified. Yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah. you could see that as like a suicide, I, I think, for sure. I really like all those. <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting because you guys aren't wrong. Um, I guess give us I, what you were thinking. I guess my allegory was way more broad. And mm. um, I was thinking in terms of like kind of we yeah, just way broader than what you guys said, which mm. I really like what you guys said. Mm. And it totally fits. And... They are both they're they're topics that I would like to explore for sure, um, but I was actually th- thinking of it in more terms of uh, like anti-capitalism. Oh. So it's an allegory on how, especially us as Americans, basically give and give and give um, to our work, to our government with like taxes and whatever, and then how we get kind of used. <laughs> or how oh, capitalism can use you and drain you and in and just take everything it that stretches you yeah. thin sort of thing yeah and um so that's kind of like the broad 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 allegory um that i was thinking and Fair then up. you know you can i can always add you know more into that and i could actually you know he could have his revenge later by doing something yeah. else you know <laughs> right, like right, yeah, you know exactly. uh but um but yeah yeah. So. <laughs> okay, cool. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's cool. I one thing that's really interesting about allegories is like how many different angles you can hit it with. Yeah, that's the thing. Know? Yeah, yeah. And and that really tells me too that yours wasn't as obvious as I thought. Right, right. Because yours was different than what I was picturing. You know, that's just cool about allegories because yeah. it's it's so tough with just pitches, though. You know, totally. <laughs> Super hard. This was one of the hardest pitches we've ever done. Um. So, J- so you want Jacob to reread his? Yeah. Right. Oh, sure. So um, to... Okay. Should I just go now? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so it's called Tirana, and then uh, it is in Sweden, 3500 BC. A family of ten with seven sisters and one brother all live on a farm. Following, <clears throat> following the boy as he ages, we begin to see that his mother and sisters all fear their sexually abusive father. He sees his father kill his mother when she resists him sexually. Then he sees his father elect the oldest sister to become the new mother. She resists and gets killed. Eventually, the sisters retaliate and kill their father. The boy becomes ashamed of his identity and struggles to balance his relationship with his sisters, even though they tell him that he's not the same man as their father. 
Holy so, shit. <laughs> just for our sake, I know this yeah. is going to be clear for the listeners, but uh, the connection broke oh, down a little bit, out? like right in the middle. Oh, okay. So j- just like that little middle chunk, yeah. I know. Okay, I'll just summarize it in a new way, just in case. Um, so it, the story is, follows the boy, and uh, he his father is sexually abusive to his mother and his sisters and whenever the mother resists him sexually he kills the mother and then elects the oldest sister to become the new mother of the family Mm, um so then so each time it happens like the next oldest sister gets killed um and uh and yeah fun stuff were you channeling (laughs) your inner mother from that a little bit i I feel there's a little bit of Aronofsky's mother kind of dabbled in there a little bit. I guess a little bit. You could look at it kind of in a similar light. But I think the important thing is that the perspective is uh, coming from the boy. Like, he's the he's the point of view of the film uh, as the only uh, boy in a family of uh, all women, basically. Except for the father. So it's kind of an allegory for, like, the folly of the family, I guess, in that, like... I don't know. I'm, That's really tough. Oh my god! Because I think it could be so many different things. From, I guess off the top of my head, I'm thinking like, I'm thinking like, I, I'm thinking so many different things. I think I'm thinking like, patriarchy or whatever, like, mm-hmm. um, and like, the, like the idea of like kings or, uh, um. You know, just the patriarch male figure, but I'm also thinking of like abuse of power. Um, but if it's if it's through the eyes of the boy, it could even be looking at it because you don't really say he's disgusted by it. So it could be about how this idea of like masculinity and how like ownership of women is passed down through generations um and how abuse of 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 that power and of of abuse of women or whatever can you know it's it's been like put on males from a very early age to some extent i i mean you said this took place in like 35 pc or something BC. like that so mm-hmm. like i feel like it's it's they're obviously they're not conditioned not that we're conditioned not, not i'm not saying that like males are like this you know but i mean it their their society is different from our society so yeah. I mean, it's hard it's hard to tell i don't know that's tough but could see an allegory for like royalty too like yeah. you said a little bit or like you know in that like when the power is questioned you just replace what's questioning you. Um, almost like a Trump thing, too. I could see Trump kind of being added in there. Sort of this false belief of royal power, too. You yeah. Because um, in, in certain ways, I suppose you could argue that Trump does, did, you know, did and does those things. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, uh, that's kind of what i can glean from it there's something about though the fact that the kid or the, the the father is 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 then marrying his own daughters that i feel like i'm i there's something there that i'm missing that i 
is probably glaring at me that I just at the moment can't grasp onto. <laughs> <laughs> All right, lay it on us then. Um, so I, I guess my way into this was was looking at um, like the the whole like Me Too thing, but not from the uh, not from women, but like the effect of. Uh, that that it has on men and uh, oh, not okay. necessarily in like a like oh that sucks we can't do shitty things anymore but in like what is our role as like a man um n- now like uh like th- i feel like the, the the me too thing has pushed men into this space of like what is okay now like what's okay for me to do um mm, okay so, so i wanted like that to be like the the son, like he's the one who's experiencing like this shift in like I don't want to be this person that my father was, but how do I like still be a man when I don't have that identity or someone to teach me how? Hmm. Um, okay, okay. So that so that was me getting into that, and I I'm obviously it could be anything, um, and I I really liked what you guys had, and I love that it bugged the hell out of you, Byron, about the father like moving on to his daughter because like that was just uh for me that was not of that much importance you know it was just like let's just have the father like be the a really shitty person yeah. and, and use the all the women in his life and kind of drain them in a patriarch you know, patriarchal kind of way um and i like i like, <laughs> like so that I, bugged you yeah it's funny because i i got i think i got what you were talking about with like the cycle like i understood like the cycle right because like obviously this is like kind of like a change like it's representing some sort of change in like how he's perceiving like the woman thing you know what i mean like that i said but also tied in with patriarchy so i got a part of it but i thought that there might have been more with with the like you said like with the fact that he was with his daughters but it, it i guess it didn't <laughs> i mean it, it, here, here's like the weird thing about all this and i feel like this is why so many filmmakers are like hush hush about their allegories and what they mean um is like the second you give a label to something then it's meaning it becomes the one thing and it can't like go right. outside of that you right. know right. but i i totally think that that cycle could be something interesting uh, and as long as you're thinking about it, then I think there's a value to it existing. Yeah. Because uh, I know, maybe there was some weird reason why I gravitated towards uh, having that cycle happen. Yeah, I don't really yeah, know yeah. why. So, but maybe there's something to that that I just can't really speak to. You know what I mean? <laughs> there's something power in it being cyclical. I think in story in like allegorical yeah. storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. All right, so we're running a little bit long, so we'll go quick here right at the end. Um, so mine was there's ice at the bottom of the pit. I don't know if you guys. I have no idea. <laughs> I really um, don't. I couldn't even guess. I, I I might need a refresher. So he he he's he's going. What's the beginning? He's wandering through an unnamed winter landscape. Okay. Um, and he starts to hear screams. He's attacked by a pack of wolves and saved by an abnormal fox. Okay. And then he, he is lost, so he follows the fox down into a small crevice that expands into an impossibly large cavern. 
Down multiple levels, past people of increasing anguish and through impossible uh, landscapes, the man eventually finds himself in an ice cavern dominated by a single, towering figure who is stuck in the ice. The man attempts to free the being only to be attacked by the fox and dragged into the water under the ice. After blacking out, he awakens on an island with a single tall mountain on it. It seems like Dante's Inferno, kind of. I do get a sense of, like, Hades, you know, sort of thing, underground. Like, hell kind of imagery. I think it's interesting yeah. that it that it starts off in winter, cold, and then it gets, like, possibly warmer <laughs> if it is a hell but then there's i but the titles you know is that there's ice at the at the bottom so it goes back to right. cold which is but interesting. that's like that's what and, hell is you and, know like yeah. everyone thinks hell is fire but the actual bottom right. is just ice so I, you know? I like that but i also get this sense of like foxes is like a fox is like fire color so it could represent hell just the fox can in a sense because he's guiding him through this winter landscape but he's actually the one that kills him in a sense taking him into the water and the wolves could represent so many things too fuck um <laughs> i'm thinking oh fuck it's it could god damn it this is so hard because it could mean so much it could mean so many things like that's little true. elements of this story can mean a lot um that's why it's like hard. one aspect of it could be an allegory like just the fact that it ends with him on an island with a mountain right can, is an allegory of some sort and then the fact that he meets a guy trapped in ice that's that's an allegory in itself so combine that all it could mean so many things it's what I like about yours is um is that it's not it's it's it it's very metaphoric. I don't know exactly what the metaphor is, but I'm really digging the visual of it. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, I feel like there is like direct meanings for like the fox and like the the stuff and I, yeah. I don't know what it is. I, it's one of those things that like obviously I'd have to see the film. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I'd have to see how you film it, and how, and then I could start connecting the dots on what the wolves could represent, what could, you know, and getting getting to know the right. character. Like, oh, maybe maybe something that we know from his past is represent the wolves and, and the fox, or you know, and the, or maybe it's the father or God or Satan or whoever the the person trapped in the ice is, and um, yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. pretty pretty cool. Fair enough. Well, Jacob was right. It is a retelling of the Inferno, yeah. Um, because I really love that story, oh, even yeah. though it's not. It's a great yes. story, and it's hard because the Divine Comedy has to be taken as a whole to really get the allegory. Like each part, yes, it's got like stuff to pull from it, but it's the it's the whole journey that's the allegory, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but the hell part is obviously awesome, and then the, the ending is just supposed to be him like going through into, that's his shift into purgatory. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, and then the shit, you know, then he goes to heaven. Um, but yeah, I don't like, I don't know how much direct meaning I had on things either. Uh, I think the fox for me is is sort of like, like distrust in the guide too. Mm, yeah, like foxes are sly. Like, why is the fox even yeah. helping? There's nothing of value and he follows it into a place that's deadly yeah or there's anguish um the being at the end so the way the inferno if for people who don't know 
Um, the way Dante describes hell is that it's all these different circles and levels, and as you go down, the very bottom is where Satan is, but it's actually all ice. And he's like stuck in the ice, um, and he's like for eternity eating like the three worst sinners of history. Um, one of them being Judas, who betrayed Jesus. Um, so just having like this guy not really know who that is, but have like he's this, he's like despite everything he's seeing, he's still trying to help too. So yeah. there's kind of this like positive morality, but the fox won't let it happen. So like, how can you trust like that? Yeah. You know, right, right. Like trying to guide your own way and what's right, but having things pull you away from it, I guess. Um, and water is so symbolic, too, and the fact that the, the fox drags him into the water. Which is what But then there's like ice him. at the end, you know? Yeah. It's kind of cool. It like yeah. solidifies it. Yeah, that's what mine was. I think there's stuff to be pulled out of it, but like I said, when I, when I kind of wrote it, I was like, yeah, I know this is going to be a lot harder to, to gleam stuff from just by the nature of it, but. I don't know, man. Doing a, a, a reboot or retelling of Dante's Inferno would be really cool, I think. It'd film. be... If done in the right hands, it would be the ultimate Amazing. film for me. Yeah. Like, yeah. every aspect of that film is awesome. I mean, I, I want to dedicate my entire left arm to a tattoo that's Dante's Inferno. It starts oh, from the top and it just goes all the way down. And I know the I know the tattoo artist that's gonna do it and everything. It's just it's gonna have to be a while from now. <laughs> I just love that story so much. All right, this was our longest pitch fest episode well, section today. Can I interrupt you for a second? Sure. I, wa- <laughs> I wanted to say one more thing about mine, and it was um, the title, uh, Tirana. Yeah. What is that? Uh, yeah, so that's the name of the person who founded the Me Too movement in like 2006. Oh, so that oh, was wow. the, yeah. So it was like in my brain, it's like the name of the place that they live in Sweden. But also, that's I just ripped her name, <laughs> and it cool, sounded like a cool name. It is so. cool. Taken out of context sounds, as a title, it sounds really cool. Mine yeah. was just cargo. Was just like I was thinking like capitalism, cargo ships. Like the big, yeah. you know. That's what when you said that, <laughs> yeah. I immediately thought that too. But I didn't yeah. connect it to capitalism, so but that's, that's cool. Funny. That's cool. Uh, we should definitely do an allegory pitch again. And yeah, see I like because it because it's like really it. hard. Yeah, it's cool. It's interesting. So yeah. I mean, I think deep down, all my films are allegorical. I don't think I'm interested in not doing allegorical films. Really. Yeah, I think a you lot know? of films are. Yeah. Just some are more. Uh, Go ahead. I yeah, I think like you're right i think everything kind of has to come from an allegory uh it, mm-hmm. whether loosely or or very very deliberate like like mother um, right yeah you know it's definitely there's a spectrum i yeah, think definitely i agree totally agree uh all right so you can follow us on letterboxd at jacob foltz byron guet g-o-u-e-t-t-e and hyperion creator for me uh check out so next hope Apologize for kind of how this has been jumbled up, um, but we will get to Blood Simple and Samsara, which will be the next episode, um, and then we will do some pitches regarding me as a character in the plot. <laughs> so I'm excited <laughs> to hear that. Um, I'm so excited to give you guys my pitch. Uh, I'm excited to hear it, and I'm excited <laughs> to say mine too because my title's great. Uh, all right. Um, yeah. Cheers, everyone. Thanks, Cheers. guys. Bye.